Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Diversity Matters Show, the podcast where every voice is welcome and every story is celebrated. Join Mike and his guest as they deep dive into the heart of inclusion, equity and diversity. They explore whether real change is happening and open up honest dialogue that touches on various DE and I subjects. From inspiring conversations to challenging ones with the hope of sparking thought-provoking discussions. Now, here's your host, Mike Seeley. Hello and welcome to the Diversity Matters podcast show. In today's episode, I want to talk about menopause in the workplace to coincide with World Menopause Day held every year on the 18th of October to raise awareness of menopause and the support options available for improving health and well-being. Menopause is a natural part of a woman's life, so why is it still a taboo subject, and why are more women not talking about this phase in their lives? For years, women have coped with the symptoms of the menopause, some experiencing debilitating symptoms with little or no support. They have felt embarrassed and ashamed to talk about their menopause experience. In addition, many women experiencing early menopause symptoms often feel worried and confused by the symptoms they are having, ranging from brain fog to increased anxiety. The key to breaking down this taboo and helping women during the menopause is to normalise this part of a woman's life. For more women to not only become better educated on this sensitive subject, but to talk to each other and share their experiences. Now, being a man, it is fair to say that I have no clue on this topic and would go on to say that men in general lack knowledge. But as men, we too need to be better educated and learn how to support women in the workplace and at home with an increased level of knowledge, awareness and understanding. My guest is Lauren Chiron, CEO of Women of a Certain Stage, a company that specialises in supporting employers in embracing and normalising all life stages from menstruation to menopause. Their mission is to eliminate stigmas and ensure that everyone recognises when to seek timely and effective support. Lauren is an entrepreneur passionate about supporting people to successfully navigate menopause. She provides evidence to the UK Parliament, sits on the BSI committee that created the landmark standard on menstruation, menstrual health and menopause, is a regular commentator in the media and is a global keynote speaker, trainer and coach on executive women's well-being. She left her senior role in financial services in her early 40s, believing that she was suffering from early-onset dementia. Imagine her surprise when her doctor informed her she had just been through the menopause. Today, she educates employers on why being menopause-supportive is business-savvy and supports high-performing people to navigate the changes and challenges of all things hormonal, from monthly cycles to menopause. As a trusted expert, Lauren has helped thousands of executives, celebrities, and athletes globally. She is qualified in psychology, mental health, nutrition, coaching, personal training, and seemed to be a yoga teacher too. Lauren shares her knowledge and stimulates the debate on what being well means at all stages of life, with insightful directness, commercial pragmatism, and absolute passion for ensuring optimum well-being and resilience. Her goal is to ensure women are never held back because of their biology. Lauren, 
Welcome to Diversity Matters, and thank you for your participation on the show. Fantastic. Really excited to have a conversation with you, Mike. Excellent. Now, I'm going to dive straight in here. Obviously, during your during the introduction I obviously mentioned was when you first discovered that you had menopause, as you thought it was early onset dementia. Can you just talk about that experience? The discovering that it was menopause? Yeah. Or the whole thing? The whole the thing. Whole thing. The whole, the whole do thing. the whole thing. <laughs> of course, of course. At the time, I was in my third career. I was senior exec in financial services, leading global transformation teams um, in India and America and the UK. And we were leading large-scale change projects, which were in the regulatory and compliance space. So fairly complex and lots of information that even the regulators couldn't always agree on what it was they were asking us to do. So we would take all that information and break it down into bite-sized chunks so that we could deliver that for, for the business, for the organization. And that was quite complex information. It was managing multiple teams across different time zones. We used to get three days out of every one 24 hours because we went from, you know, right across the world. And I loved it. I loved the challenge. I loved the, you know, I loved loved everything about it. And then I find myself sitting in a board meeting where I would be unable to get the word plan out of my mouth. Or I'd have to sit with small cups of hot water in front of me. Because every time I tried to speak, my throat was so tight with anxiety that I could barely get any words out at all. And another time I sat in a meeting, I was literally holding on to the arms of the chair, watching the clock tick down because my heart was beating out of my chest Mm -hmm. and I thought I was going to fall on the floor. So I waited till everyone else left the room and then used the wall Marcel Marceau light to get back to my desk for fear of falling over. And all of these things were happening. All of these things were going on. I wasn't sleeping. I was training really hard. I was super fit, super slim, very athletic, got a big athletics background. And I thought as a former personal trainer and sports therapist, I was looking after myself really, really well. I was getting injured and these injuries seemed to be coming from nowhere. And then I just found that I would be completely forgetful and reliant on my team to remind me which meeting to go to, what I had to get out of each meeting. And I became quite silent in meetings and that got picked up on Mm -hmm. too. Eventually, I genuinely, my self-esteem, my self-confidence was in my boots. It was so low and I really was questioning my own sanity. I took myself off and had a conversation with my doctor and he was really insistent that I took some time off. I worked for a large organisation. That's what they have sick pay Mm -hmm. for, but I'd never had a day off sick in my life. So after a bit of negotiation, he wanted me to take a month off. I agreed to a week. By the end of that (laughs) first week, I was back in the doctor's surgery, shaking crying, rocking in the chair, unable to contemplate going back to work. That one week turned into five months. And through that time, I had a number of conversations with work. And ultimately, I left my job thinking I had early onset dementia. So when I went for my third doctor's appointment after I'd left work, I'd had blood tests at the second one. And he turned around and said, to be sure, Lauren, you haven't got early onset dementia. You've just been through the menopause. And I was the happiest menopausal woman in the whole of the UK. So all of those symptoms that you were going through, that was all to do with menopause and not early onset dementia. Absolutely. absolutely. So are these all typical of of some of the symptoms that that women go through? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think people think of menopause as period stopping and hot flushes. And the reality is that the the complexity of our hormone levels dropping, that estrogen drop in our body with progesterone and testosterone as well, 
they have a massive interplay in all of our body systems and our brain function, our heart function, our bones, our nails, our hair. You know, all of these things are impacted when we go through menopause. And yeah. some people experience symptoms and others don't. So the reality is everyone has uh, their own unique journey going through menopause. Yeah. But I think I managed to tick the box for the majority of the symptoms um, by the time I, I got through right. the other side. So tell me, when you found out that, you know, you were going through the menopause from, from your doctor and you said you, you felt happy because it wasn't early onset dementia, but what, what did you do from, from there? Because you've obviously since uh, founded your own company, Women of a Certain Stage, but between finding out about menopause and forming the company, what, what happened during that period? What did you do? Yeah, I mean, I... I was in the, you know, I've been very, very, very fortunate. I'm a sole parent um, of a child with lifelong medical needs, and I had been very lucky to have the role that I had at work to, you know, financially to have a little bit of cash behind me. So I wasn't panicking about getting into jobs straight away. But at the same token, I didn't believe I'd ever work again because I didn't think I was capable. So right. in, in the instant that my doctor said to me, it's just menopause, I immediately got back hope. That was the biggest thing that happened. Mm. And I thought, fine, I can go back to contracting and financial services. I can maybe go back and become a personal trainer again because I'd done that in the past. All of a sudden, options opened up and I had hope again. And that was the beginning of me really beginning to realise that there are so many amazing things out there that I can do. And the very first thing I wanted to do was reach out to my local community and find out, had anyone else gone through this thing called menopause? You know, there's only 1.3 billion women in the world <laughs> going through menopause, but you know, it's like, has anyone else had these symptoms? So I set up something called Menopause Socials, which is where we just get together with other people experiencing symptoms or living or working with somebody experiencing symptoms and share our stories. And that self-help, that, that ability to realise you're not alone can eliminate that frustration and can open up your eyes to the different solutions that there are out there. Because at that time, 10 years ago, people were not talking about menopause. Mm. Once I started creating these, I teamed up with local charities and they would provide the premises and the, the hot drinks and something to eat. I would get all the people to turn up. From there, different people that were turning up would say, would you come in and talk and share your story with my company? And that was how oh, one wow. at a certain stage was born. So then I started studying menopause. I mean, my background is, uh, is nutrition and personal training, sports therapy, psychology, coaching, mentoring. You know, I've got a lot of health and well-being aspects to my background. I'm a lifelong learner, so I knew a lot about anatomy and physiology. Mm. What I didn't understand was the interplay of menopause with that and how it can impact people. Right. So I'm a, a lifelong learner. I'm continuing to do every course that I can get on menopause. And now I actually train people to become menopause coaches as well. So it's just evolved. It's evolved yeah. over time. And um, a big part of that is now looking at everything from menstruation all the way through to post-menopause because it's, you know, we can't isolate one life stage um, because these monthly hormonal changes that we go through can have an impact on, yeah. on us in lots of different ways. Menopause itself is, well, certainly was, it's, it seems to be changing now, but it's a very taboo subject. For a number of reasons, I can imagine that you know women may not want to admit that they're at that stage in, in life, or they may feel embarrassed about talking about it. I'm sure there are many, many reasons. But when you started the menopause socials, how did you get women to start sharing their experiences? Was it a case of somebody waiting for somebody else to speak up? 
<laughs> or were they just all Not diving well. in? <laughs> yeah, I mean, people were so relieved to actually find a safe space to talk. Hmm. And I think the key thing for me was, you know, I had some really low points, some really, really low points when I was going through this before I found out what it was. Days where, quite frankly, I'd been happy to call it quits. And mm -hmm. I was, I personally was just so, although I was on the other side of it, I was so relieved to just be able to talk and to, to hear that other people were having similar experiences. And it might be with me doing a, hey, hi, you know, let's go and grab a cuppa. And then a couple of people would be passing the sugar to one another or someone else would be having a, a piece of cake. Not that I would advise cake during menopause, I wouldn't, but that's another story. But, you know, back then I didn't know better. And I, you know, just the little conversations, what brought you here today, where you've come from, you know, how are your symptoms impacting you? What do you want to get out of today? Lots of open questions, a bit like you would do during coaching. Mm -hmm. And the conversations were incredible. And to the point where the numbers built up really quickly, the local radio station got hold of it and oh. came and um, wanted to interview people, although it's a safe space. So we didn't let them in, but we let some of the ladies go out and talk to them. And it just grew. And people, you know, we talked about sexual health and pelvic floor problems and relationship issues and symptoms. and challenges with getting support from our doctors and what was mm. happening with you know our jobs so lots of conversations came up and from that that started informing the types of sessions that employers could benefit from because if they could have this menopause social in their workplace they could do this for their own women with, with no cost you yeah. know all they have to do is release people for 40 minutes 50 minutes to have a chat with one another yeah so it was a really powerful way to start to release that taboo that segue into the workplace, so that's that's very key because I think it's typically in the workplace where women would cover the fact that they're they're in menopause or mm. or they're entering into that because of the safe space as you've you've mentioned earlier on. Do you think in the work that you've done, particularly with corporate companies, that those safe spaces are now being created and it's becoming easier? For women to talk about it that's the first point of my question the second point of my question are men attending these sessions and do you think it's important great. for men to to be there great questions so it depends on how they're set up and what the purpose of them is so i think that with the organizations i'm working with yes they're just normal things that they do they might do them remotely they might do them in person sometimes they alternate it they might have bolted on newsletters or subgroups. So some of them might go, they might have a book club. Um, they might have a knitting club. They might have a, a hiking club. You know, there's lots of different ways that people have then evolved the menopause socials. In some organisations, they will open it up to everybody. So, you know, if someone wants to come and learn, that's great. But the reality is that if you're a person who's experiencing menopause, and don't forget, that could also be our transgender community or non-binary or gender questioning community as well. So we have to be mindful menopause isn't just experienced by women in their mid-40s and 50s. Someone like me went through menopause, it turns out, at 37. And you might have had a surgical menopause or a medical menopause um, at an earlier age as well. So there's lots of different reasons why someone might be in that stage of life. So I think if a group is set up, it should be set up with very clear communication about what the purpose of the group, what the objective of the group is, who's invited. But I do believe that everybody in an organisation should receive menopause awareness training or have mm. access to menopause awareness training. 
that's really vital because, um, as we talked about before, you're either going to live with, work with, or socialize with somebody going through menopause. Yep. And everyone's life's going to be a lot easier if you understand what that is and how to communicate with somebody who is at that time of life. That's really, really interesting. And the second part of my question is around men. Most men would either not care about this, would not be interested. I believe we need to be as men. It's the, the one way that if we are going to support women in the workplace, that we must have some level of understanding around the menopause. Are you seeing men participating in any of these discussions and trying to learn more and, and asking questions about how can I be more supportive and how can I help? How, how is that experience? I think you're the perfect example of someone doing that, right? <laughs> so here we are having a conversation. I don't want to be the only one, though. <laughs> you're not, by far, not the only one. So I live in Filton in Bristol, which is well known for its engineering and, and aerospace industry. Mm. And I have a number of organizations here that I work with. And many of the sessions I run are menopause for men. So we just go in and we have a round table, we have a lunch and learn, and we talk about, you know, their personal experiences of their partner. We get into all sorts of very, very intimate conversations sometimes about the changes in relationships and what they can do about that. But usually when they've walked away, they, they step out of that feeling like they have to fix the relationship right. or leave the relationship and actually have a conversation with their partner about what the positives are that they can do moving mm -hmm. forward as a couple. And that's really powerful. In fact, the very first time I spoke to someone at one of the local firms and he had divorced his first wife, got remarried, and he said the wife he was with at that moment in time was going the same way as the last one and she was actually going off intimacy. And he said now he understands about menopause, he's going to go and have a conversation and find out what he can do to support her. Whereas before the conversation, he was almost on the verge of issuing divorce proceedings. Oh, wow. So the power of understanding and communication is incredible. So it is very much a conversation for everybody, uh, yep. including men. Uh, that's very good to know, and I completely agree on that. One of the things that you mentioned earlier on, particularly with the menopause socials, about trying to get doctors to provide better support, what types of challenges has there been with doctors? And is it because the doctors have been men that we've, we've seen the challenge in support? No, it's not really because it was a male doctor. The, the, the reality is here in the UK and, and pretty much globally, our doctors are not routinely trained in women's health and they're not trained specifically in menopause to any depth at all. Many, many people, depending what med medical school they went to, may have had as little as half an hour or five hours worth of training on menopause in their years right. of training to be a GP. So what we have is a situation where if someone has an interest in that and has done additional training, then fantastic. Probably someone's going to get the right guidelines and the right guidance, and there will be that proper informed consent around any treatment options going forward. But very often people have got a hangover from a study going back to the early 2000s, which actually made a link between hormone replacement therapy and cancer, breast cancer and cardiovascular incidents. That study has since been disproven um, in a number of ways. And there is a whole new batch of hormone replacement therapies out there now in terms of the formulations of the estrogen and the progesterone um, are now different. And there are different testosterones available globally as well. So 
we have this thing where the doctors wish to do no harm. Well, they've heard about this study. They've made the link, the negative link, and so they've stayed away from hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we need to get our doctors trained. So the, the new medical intake from 2024 will be the first doctors that are routinely trained in women's health, including menopause. Um, but that means it will be in the 2030s before um, this will be the norm. Yeah. So we have to go to our doctors well prepared. Okay. One of the things that you you know we've mentioned already is that you know you have quite a strong background in nutrition, and you also mentioned that you wouldn't advise eating cake during the menopause. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between nutrition, good nutrition, and menopause? What are the types of foods to actually completely avoid? What are the things that should be recommended to have that would help? people who are in yeah. in this situation yeah it's really interesting so um, nutrition is the third thing we teach in any of our programs the first thing we do is get mindset right because if you get mm. your mindset right then you're looking for the solutions you're looking for ways to feel good so when we get the mindset in place then we get hydration going well so we want to make sure people are well hydrated because we want the body systems to be working properly especially a digestive system and also hydrating well is great for helping with your mood it's good for your joints, it's good for your skin and nails and hair, all the things that can be impacted by by menopause. When we get into nutrition, although I wouldn't be advising someone to eat cake, I don't advise that anyone <laughs> cuts anything out altogether because the right. human psyche is such that when you say no, a carte blanche no, then we want it more. We want more of it. Mm-hmm. So I always say, you know, the 80-20 rule, let's try and be good and make great choices 80% of the time and 20% of the time, having you know a little bit of what you fancy isn't going to do too much harm. So the reality is that we want to be eating as naturally as possible. We want to be staying away from foods that are overly processed. We, If we can avoid things that come out of packets mm-hmm. that have got additives and other fancy words that most of us probably can't pronounce. I know I still can't pronounce half of them. If you look at the ingredients in a packet and you can't pronounce all the ingredients and you don't recognise the words, it's probably good stuff in it that your body's not really meant to yeah. be having and, and can't digest really well, and that can cause problems. Typically, we want lots of good quality proteins, so you know your, your meats and your fish. We want to have, you know, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, making sure you've got the best quality proteins that you can buy. And you want to have good quality fats, so lots of nuts and seeds, um, egg yolks, if you eat eggs, um, you know, fish oils, um, olive oil, lots of good quality fats are really important for our brain health and for all our body functions as well. We should be having them regularly. Mm. And then we want our, we want carbohydrates. So I often hear people saying, <laughs> oh, carbohydrates, the enemy. Well, some of us will do better on a slightly lower carbohydrate intake, but we still need those good quality plant-based carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And we also need to be eating lots of plants because we need our nutrients. We need all those good vitamins and minerals that come from our green leafy veg. And we want to have like a rainbow on our plate. So when we're looking at our plate at any meal, we really want to see lots of different colours from all those fruits and vegetables that we're eating as well. So I I would typically encourage people to reduce their caffeine, reduce their alcohol, reduce their processed foods and reduce their sugary intake. Because all of those things can feed the wrong things inside of our bodies and make us feel worse. And we want to maintain a level blood sugar. So we don't want our cortisol levels being spiked or insulin levels being spiked mm-hmm. because all of those things can exacerbate our menopause symptoms as well it's funny i was speaking to my sister-in-law not too long ago and um 
she knew that I was going to have this discussion with you. So she had a question that um, she wanted me to ask you. We obviously went through the pandemic and, and many people got COVID or people that took, you know, the jabs to prevent COVID. She asked the question whether you think that COVID or anything connected in terms of having the, um, uh, the jabs had any impact at all potentially on people who are either in menopause or are perimenopausal. Just wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think there's some studies being done at the moment. I think it's too early to say. So there are a couple of studies that I'm aware of that are being done and there are some links with um, menstruation. Um, there is some work being looked at on the menopause space, but at the moment I don't have any definitive bits of mm. research I can point you to. Okay, <laughs> no worries. You were fast skin. Now, coming back to the workplace and menopause in the workplace, what are some of the things that companies should and could be doing to provide better support um, in the workplace? What would you advise? Yeah. So, I mean, from a holistic point of view, really what we want to be doing is look at the entire colleague journey. So we want to be looking at job design, person spec. We want to look at the recruitment process and the onboarding process, that probationary period. Are we talking about menopause? Are we making sure that that entire journey is menopause friendly? Are we considering the types of challenges that people might be having? Are we opening up that conversation? Are we sharing that we are menopause savvy, menopause supportive organisation at that stage? Throughout the lifetime of a person going through menopause, are we providing menopause awareness education? Are we ensuring our line managers are properly informed to mm. recognise the signs and open a sense of conversation with somebody and know how to sign post-effective health and support? Are we having menopause socials? And are we signposting to internal and external support mechanisms? Do we know what policies and procedures we've got in place? Do our wellbeing policies um, actually cover menopause? Then we want to look at perhaps our HR systems as well. Hmm. So do we have a flag on the HR system for absences that are related to menopause so that we can build up some metrics? Are we asking an employee engagement surveys anything to do with menopause as well about what's the appetite to know about this? What yeah. type of things do you know, people want to see in place? And then the final piece, which I know most organisations um, struggle with is having a really good exit interview so that you can learn from anyone that is potentially someone who's left the workplace as a result of not being supported through menopause. We know that somewhere in the region of a million women in recent years have left work through lack of support of menopause. So it's costing organisations a huge amount of money mm -hmm. at the moment. You know, I, I work in an industry that I would say has more women than men work in there at least you know 60 maybe 60 40 it could be could be more could be slightly less and this is a conversation that is coming up more and more not just in my own workplace but in the industry as a whole because obviously women are getting older in the workplace and they're thinking about you know just like you did can i carry on in the job uh, will i get the right level of support to be able to to do my job successfully or do I need to actually change how I do my job you know less hours or more working from home or whatever the case may be so there's a reason I asked the question because 
this is a situation that is not going to go away. We're going to have more and more, um, and hopefully, we want to retain. We want to retain women. I'm, I'm working on a on a program around age diversity. So, you know, women in menopause is almost an in, intersectionality because this almost targets women of a uh, who are not much older but who are older more so. Um, so it's almost like, you know, you've got the age discrimination, you've got the menopause uh, discrimination. How how do we really try and balance that? Is it through all the things that, that you've mentioned in terms of providing support? Or should we be doing anything more or more, you know, be more imaginative about how we support women? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it depends on your workplace culture to start off with, doesn't it? Because if you're very people-centric and you're looking after your people, then actually whatever they bring, whoever they are, you're going to be providing that wraparound support to make sure that they can perform at the highest level for the organisation. Most organisations, rightly or wrongly, are driven by the bottom line and, you know, we want to get there as quickly as possible and with the least resistance. So I think that the key thing is to really question your culture to encourage managers to get to know their people and to understand when they need to offer help and support. Perhaps we need to be, and this is going to be very much role dependent, but perhaps we need to be looking at more flexibility in the workplace. We might have to potentially look at uniforms, thinking about what type of clothing are people wearing? Is it breathable? Is it layered so that that can accommodate um, heat changes and hot flushes and things like that? we might want to provide access to natural light or to cool spaces. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole range of different things that we can do, but everyone, you know, everyone's needs are going to be different and the menopause symptoms change. So we need to think about having regular conversations every few months to make sure that any adjustments we put in place are still going to support somebody going forward. And equally, I think there is definitely that intersectionality about retaining older workers but the reality is that many people will go into perimenopause, which is when symptoms begin in their late 30s and early 40s. And I don't consider that quite reaching the old bit yet. Yeah. So I think it's just raising awareness. That actually, it's something we need to be educating people on much earlier in mm-hmm. the organisation as well. And it's something, like I said, everyone's going to be impacted. There's yeah. so many different things for diversity and inclusion to cover or well-being people to cover human resources people people to cover Um, but I think menopause is something that is should be woven into the fabric of all the existing policies and procedures where possible at your company tell me what type of services and resources do you provide that you know like companies can tap into oh lots lots Um, (laughs) well everything we do is bespoke Um, because Mm -hmm. that's really important that we meet a company where their culture is at and we're using terminology and we're taking them to the next stage of that cultural shift to be able to become menopause savvy, menopause supportive. So I think the kind of key thing to really do is understand, um, first of all, what is an organisation's objective to bringing menopause to the table? So the first thing I always invite people to do is to come and join us for our free Menopause the Basics course. So Mm -hmm. it's 30 minutes a day for three days. It's really short. It's really bite-sized. But on the first day, we cover the ages, the stages, the facts, the definitions and the symptoms. On the second day, we cover how to successfully navigate menopause. And the third day, we talk about menopause in the workplace. So we talk about the regulatory, the business, the legal, um, the reputational cases for being menopause savvy and supportive. So that basics course is a really good opener 
mm-hmm. for people to think about what they can do from a personal employee respect perspective, but from an employer perspective to suddenly realize what that why and why menopause is a workplace topic right. and why that is something that's so important, you know, from from all of, all of those uh, business cases. Then we might do general awareness or line management training. We train people to become menopause champions or menopause coaches. We deliver talks and a whole range of subjects, you know, from hydration, nutrition, movement, asking for help and support. I've got a team uh, from sexual health, pelvic health, doctors, um, nutrition, all sorts of different aspects of menopause. So we, we can cover a variety of topics as well. So I think it's it's really just about understanding your own demographics, thinking mm-hmm. about where menopause is going to impact you most and i can usually help tease that out in a very quick five to ten minute conversation with with somebody and then we can structure a plan of activities over maybe a year a couple of years where they can just move things gradually towards becoming truly menopause savvy and supportive so would you say that the foundational piece is that the free training you know how do you access that is it an online course sure so if you go onto womenofacertainstage.com and on that front page of the website, there's a free Menopause the Basics course and the link in there will always take you to the next available course. Mm-hmm. So we run it every two months. And as I said, it's half an hour a day for three days. So if you go onto the website, sign up for that, you get a personal Zoom link and you just pitch up with your Zoom link. And I will chat away and share or one of my colleagues will chat away and share and then we do it for half an hour and then we do a Q&A at the end. So if you've got questions... Um, we can't answer specific medical questions, obviously, but yeah. we will answer any general questions about menopause uh, during those calls as well. Take about 16,000 people a year through that. Oh, wow. And this is open to not just people in a working environment. It's open to everybody. 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 Right. The more, the farther and wider we can get that out there across the world, the better. And do you have men join that as well? Absolutely. Excellent. Lauren, you have done so much work um, in this space, and obviously you've worked with the UK Parliament, British Standards Institute as well, where you created the landmark standard for menstruation, menstrual health, and and menopause, as well as becoming a regular commentator in the media, and of course you're a global keynote speaker. Can you tell me a little bit about the work you're doing, particularly in the UK with the BSI and Parliament and, and government? Yeah, so at the time of recording, um, the the new standard has just been launched this summer in 2023. And that was really exciting because it was something that if you'd asked me 10 years ago when I left work, would that be something that's in place? I would have laughed my tops off. So I'm really excited to have been invited to join that. But the standard is really something that is there to support employers to start to think about what the practical things they can do and why they should be doing it as well, but from all things from menstruation right the way through to menopause. So the standard is a great piece of work. It took a long time to pull it together. There were a lot of people involved and lots of interesting debates to get it to where it is. And it will be revised. It's not perfect by any stretch of imagination, but it's a great starting point. Um, With the government, I've been giving evidence to Parliament through a variety of routes for a number of years. Any papers that I can add a paragraph to or give a a comment on, um, I have been doing. And you know, I, I think the will is there to actually start making some changes. And I think we've had some really good debates about should menopause be the, the 10th protected characteristic in the Equality mm. Act, for example. That's been rejected at the moment because it involves changing primary uh, legislation. 
but keep a watchful eye on that because I think that depending who's in who's in Parliament, um, you might find that there are some different guidance that, that emerges. So that's going to be quite interesting over the next few years. I've spoken to um, the American people as well, talking about what they're thinking about, and what they're doing from a DNI perspective. So they haven't been quite as forward thinking as we have here in the UK just yet. But it's starting to pop up in the Washington Post and the New York Times. So where the media goes, then, you know, it's yeah. sure to follow. So it, it's exciting. It's exciting. Um, there isn't a day go past where a Google, alert, a Google alert doesn't pop up saying there's been something in the press about menopause. Yeah, excellent. What is next for you? Where do you, where do you see this all going? What would, what would be the, the ideal uh, nirvana for you in the space of uh, menopause and knowledge and understanding the nirvana would be not not to be needed anymore yeah <laughs> for it's been entirely unnecessary for me to do my job that would be the mm. nirvana and um, i don't think we're going to see that in my lifetime but i think we're we're a lot closer than we were mm-hmm. 10 years ago so that's really exciting i would love to i mean we do everything from periods to post-menopause so i'd love to see more organizations recognizing the benefits of embracing natural cycles and recognizing that if you work with your cycle, actually you become super productive. And when we've got people in the workplace who have a monthly cycle, when we think about how incredible they already are, if we embrace their natural cycle, can you imagine how much more incredible we would see Mm. them being and performing? So that would be amazing, amazing for me. And that would be truly inclusive. And and that that would make my heart sing. Now, you obviously do a lot of work with corporate companies. Do you do any education and work with younger girls, school age, for example? Yeah, we do. So we like to ask our corporate um, clients if they will partner with us and we'll train up a couple of people from their organisation to go and speak to local schools. So the idea of that is that we want to educate girls uh, from around about the age of 14 Mm-hmm. So we want to educate girls as they're coming into their GCSE year so that they really, really, really understand their monthly cycle. They really understand and normalise and feel comfortable talking about it. They recognise the changes in their own behaviour, their thinking and their maybe their mood across a month. And they know when their period is normal and when it's not. Because we know that far too many people are struggling for nearly a decade with things like fibroids and endometriosis they're taking days off school, they're missing vital studies. And it might even be that on the day of a critical exam that they're having such a bad period that they are either doped up the eyeballs with ibuprofen, paracetamol and other painkillers, or they're actually missing something. Mm. And and that means they're being disadvantaged from the get-go. So for me, I want girls to have a really good understanding of their own anatomy and physiology. I want them to know when and how to ask for help and support. And I want them to learn to tap into their hormonal changes throughout the month so that they can absolutely, you know, rock out whatever they set their heart and mind to. Fantastic. Lauren, this has been really inspirational. I think the work that you're doing, it almost, and I could be wrong, but it almost feels like you're the only one who's really driving this type of education and awareness, uh, probably more than anybody else, I'd imagine. But it's very inspirational. I'm hoping that many people listening will reach out, will do the, the free training as a starter, and then hopefully companies, you know, maybe our company as well, will look to make the next step so that we can create this real safe space and inclusive environment that is part of our overall DNI strategy anyway. 
Amazing. um, Yeah. I would really like to, first of all, thank you for joining uh, me on this show. This is, as I mentioned, uh, it's a taboo subject, a subject that not many people and and men in particular want to hear about or or talk about, but it's extremely important. I hope that, you know, we can continue to work with you going forward and leverage from your your expertise um, in this particular uh, space as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for covering the topic. I'm really, really, really grateful. No, it is, it's a real pleasure to have you on. And, you know, I thank you actually for, um, for giving up the time to, to share this. So take care. And I look forward to maybe speaking to you one day soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Diversity Matters. We hope that through our discussions, we have brought a deeper understanding of what equity, diversity and inclusion truly means for each of us. Remember that the journey to a truly inclusive and equitable world is ongoing. Let's continue to champion these values in our lives and strive for positive change together. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to like and subscribe the show on your favorite podcast channel. And we look forward to joining us on the next episode. And remember, inclusion, equity and diversity matters.